the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Article in front of the word, the day of wrath. It is a day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So if you will look up here for a moment, I don't mean to be this technical, but I don't know where else you're going to get this on a regular basis in church or Sunday school, maybe in ours here, but listen carefully. When it talks about storing up, it means that it is coming. God is giving you this grace right now, but you are still, we are still living under this this cloud of self-righteousness and moralism. We have not changed. We're stubborn, unrepentant heart. So it's building, it's building, it's building. It's just not here yet, but it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. This last um, Friday, I was asked to perform a wedding at Magic Island. It was absolutely beautiful. I'm telling you, as you look out over Magic Island, you could have faced in the direction of Diamond Head or you could have looked down to... to um, uh, Ala Moana, and the sky was so blue, and yet everybody was saying, hurricanes are coming, hurricanes are coming. I looked on my, my app on my phone, and it says, we're at level one, it's coming, it's coming. Beautiful picture. Yesterday was a full day for me. Had to do a burial in Mililani, and I had to do another beach wedding of two wonderful believers at Sherwood's. Those of you who know where Sherwood Forest is. Now, you remember what yesterday was like? It was gray. And all I could think about is how wet I'm going to get up at Mililani in an outdoor burial, have to jump in the car and go all the way to Sherwood's to do an outdoor wedding. God was so good. I looked at the map as we're now on the beach with this bride who was in a stunning white gown. The guy was drop-dead handsome. He got the whole family that came. And as we're looking at this, I'm looking at not only was there a flashing radar on my screen, but it was just lighting up with colors telling me that there was major cells of thunderstorms that were coming. And right where we were and right where it was, I could see it right over the blowhole in the distance and the beautiful rock formations out further than the blowhole. And there we are. Now, why am I telling you that story? It's not about weddings. It's not about burials. It's all about how that no matter what, Things can build and God is large and in charge. So right now you might be feeling as a person who's got it going so good for you right now. By being stubborn and not engaging in these truths and engaging in God, changing your thinking, and that's a volitional choice that you could make, I want you to know it's a coming. It's a coming. It's a coming. Now that phrase, in the day of wrath, there are five different times or five different areas of wrath that God will display upon humanity. Now, in the context here, this part, I believe it's talking about the revealed wrath of God that is already being dumped on humanity now because of their rejection of God and their feeling that they are morally right before God. Later on in chapter in verse 16, I believe then it moves to an actual day of wrath 
that is going to come in the future that God is going to judge. The point of the matter is that God still will not tolerate sin to exist no matter if it's a wicked rejection of sin or a moralistic self-righteous sin. He will not let it continue before he finally will deal with it technically once and for all. Now again for you believers in Christ, let me pause and um, reflect on the cross that's up on the wall behind me. I want you to know that God's wrath was still displayed for you and me on the cross on Jesus Christ. The wrath of God was there because my sin had to be satisfied. That payment for sin had to be satisfied. In order for me to justify before God, that sin had to be dealt with. And He did it for me when He went to the cross and God's wrath was unleashed on Jesus Christ. So as I'm continuing this message as I bring it out, and I explain that only God can be the one that judges and we can. I want you to continually look up to that cross and remember that although we live where the wrath of God is being revealed, verse 18, chapter 1, at the same time I want you to know there's also a future wrath. But for you and me who trusted Christ as Savior, we're living today in this world of consequences of sin. We got that. I get that. You get that. This is this time. But we are delivered from the wrath that's going to come. Because Jesus Christ suffered our wrath for us on the cross so we could have eternal life. Well, now the question is, is, okay, if I can't judge, who can judge? And the answer is God. He's the only one who can judge. But I want to show you a little technical thought here that might really bless you. Take a moment, if you will, just so you see this. Verse 2 says, and we know that the judgment of God, so we know that God is the one who can judge. Drop down, if you will, to verse 5. It says, but because of your stubbornness, and then go all the way to the end, it says, and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, so God can judge. Now, if you will, go to verse 16, and it says this. At the end of it, it says, God will judge. So you could then see, again, God will judge. But here's the little nuance. When God judges, he judges through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of scripture that will speak to that, but if you want a, a partner verse on this, write it in your notes. It would be Acts chapter 17, verse 31. So you understand that the one who is unleashing that type of judgment is going to be coming through Jesus Christ. And again, why not? Because he's the one who went to the cross for us. But now, when are we going to be judged? That's a good question. I addressed that just a moment ago. He is unleashing his judgment today on us, and some people really are. They're experiencing God's judgment for their choices that they have made. And uh, there are the consequences of it. But he also is going to judge in the future day. Now, with a little bit of time that I have left, which isn't much, let me explain what the future judgment might look like. First of all, for those who do not know Christ as Savior. In God's timeline, in the future, there's going to come what we call the great white throne. That great white throne judgment is going to be a time that the Lord is going to open up a book. And in that book will be the written of all the names of the people who have accepted Christ as their personal Savior by faith alone in Him. Even before Christ came, they looked forward to the Messiah, to the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sin of the world. It was during the time of Christ who died, paid for sin. Today we look back to that cross. The name is in there. If your name is in there, then you will not stand at that judgment seat of Christ. Then He's going to open up the books and He's going to release all people, all the souls of people that live from Adam until the time of that. And at that particular time, they're going to be judged out of that great white, at the great white throne out of those books. Now what they're judged for and what they're not judged for. You are not judged to determine whether or not you get a do-over and get to go to heaven. Once you die, 
then the judgment. Once you die, that means then you do not get a second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no limbo. There is no, and I say this with grace, happy hunting ground. That's it. Now, what you are judged there, you are judged according to your deeds to determine the severity of the real punishment of being separated from God in a Christless hell forever and ever, like a wandering star for all eternity and horrible pain. All right, but there are degrees of judgment there. That's the great white throne. So whether you're a heathen, we might use that term because of the context earlier, and rejecting Christ to the point of suppressing that truth and rejecting who Christ is, even though it's been revealed who God is, to those who are moralist, and then later on the religionist who counts totally on their spirituality and spiritual religion to help them have a connection to God without Christ alone, All right, they then will be at that great white throne. Those of you who know Christ as Savior, we will stand before another throne, and this would be called the judgment seat of Christ. And at this judgment seat, we too will be judged according to our deeds, not our sins. Our sins are already dealt with on the cross, like I told you behind me. Now we're judged by, first of all, did we do what we do in faith? Did we do what we do because we loved God and loved others? So the motives are being judged. The secret intents of the heart are being judged and how it fleshed out into the deeds. And at that time, then we will be rewarded accordingly. Not whether or not we still can go to heaven. Again, there's no purgatory, limbo, happy hunting ground, middle ground, anything. We still have eternal life. And then the rewards are multiple. Whether they're special crowns or ruling and reigning in special places uh, with God during the millennium with Christ, that's available to us. So again, there is that judgment for those who don't know Christ as Savior. And the determination, listen carefully right now. The determination of that happens the moment you trust Christ as Savior. And if you delay your stubborn, unrepentant heart, you do not trust Christ, you have until the time your heart stops beating and you're absent from the body and you're separated from God for all eternity. You're already separated now, but once you die, there's no do-over. So that's why you need to trust Christ. I urge you to do that now because we don't know when we're going to die. I received a... When I pastored in upstate New York, there was a young man we mentored all through his ministry in the college. He's pastoring a mega church in Iowa near a university town. His kids are all walking with God. His son is studying for the ministry. And I got a text last night that says that the son, Doug, please pray for him, had a horrible accident and he's in an induced coma. He may die. It can happen to anybody. We don't know. So now, we talked about who does, God does, when does this all happen, how will he do this? Well, it's based on two truths. One is he's based on truth. So we already know when God judges, I don't have to come up with my own standards. God has his standards. It's found in scripture. It's truth. He's truth. Holy Spirit's truth. Jesus is the way, the truth. The word of God is truth. So it's based upon the truth of God. But it's also based upon other things as well. And it would be, I call it in the context of scripture here, impartiality. If you will look in verse 11. Verse 11 is important. The reason God can judge is because he is God, but how does he judge? He has to use a standard, and that would be true. But then what is the mechanism behind all of that? Verse 11 says, for there is no partiality with God. Now that is huge to me, to know that with God, he is infinitely wise. He saw every bit of humanity in his mind before that humanity was in its mother's womb in any way. He watched that person. He's allowed it, permitted it, prescribed it. He still is God. He can do anything he wants with his creation because he is God. And so I cannot uh, disbelieve God because I don't like what he does or how he does what he does. I have to remember that he is a God of love. He is wise. I'm just grateful that he's allowed me to live this long in this place called Hawaii to have you as my dear friends. Anyway. 
So all that is God's grace. Now, with all of that, he does it impartially. Have you ever noticed how that sometimes when um, we can be harder in our judgment on the people we don't like than we will be on other people that we do like? So we're harder on them and softer on others that we really do show partiality. Now, if you don't think that's true, in your heart, when your head is hitting the pillow at night, when it's all dark and nobody knows your own thoughts but only you, here's a question, and I hope your kids aren't listening. But is it possible that you have some favorite kids? Okay. Is it possible that you have some... Well, I'm going to stop right there. But my point still is that with God, when he judges, he bases it on truth and he's impartial and he is fair. And the Bible says that he is a righteous judge, so much of a righteous judge that scripture says that even when Jesus was being reviled and all the horrible stuff was happening to him right before he went to the cross, he did not revile back. He didn't threaten again. He didn't cast down 10,000 angels to wipe him out. What he did was simply this, besides going to the cross and praying and giving the last minute instruction to his disciples, he basically did this which is the heart of it all. Here's what he did. He trusted himself to his father who is a righteous judge. So in other words, he said, I give it all up to you. We're all one. You're a righteous judge. And so no matter what Jesus went through, whatever you and I'll go through, can we trust a righteous judge? So that's how he did it. So what will we be judged for? These will be real quick and we can end with this. What will we be judged for? There's three things. Number one, we're going to be judged according to our conduct, what we do. It says God... Actually, in context, I think there's a period at the end of the, the verse before, and I think this should say he, he will, but in here it's who will render to each person according to his deeds. So we're going to be judged according to what we do. To those who by perseverance in good, doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first, and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. Now, listen very carefully. If you, you need to look up here for just a second. I'm trying to use my hands to help you. This sounds like if you do good, you go to heaven. If you do bad, you go to hell. You do good, you have eternal life. You do bad, you have tribulation and all that kind of other junk in life. So it sounds like it's all based on our good deeds. It's more like, listen carefully, a rhetorical statement that's being made. It's almost like a hyperbole, hyperbole that the Lord is... that. Uh, uh, Paul is now making here under the inspiration of the Lord. So the, the contrast isn't between faith and works. The contrast in context is between truth and hypocrisy. Now stay with me. The reason this would be truth and hypocrisy, he's not saying you do all of this stuff and you finally make it to heaven. What he's basically saying, you do this, you have problems, you do that, you don't have problems. And Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. So what he's basically saying, no matter how good you are, you're still going to have problems. Yeah, good things might happen for a while, because, you know, you do good deeds, certain things happen. But we all know that um, you can still do good stuff and bad stuff happens. We, we've all been through the Peter principle before. We've seen that happen and other things as well. So God still says that, and write down Romans 3, 10 through 12, that no matter what we do, we're still underneath God's judgment apart from Jesus Christ. The second it says, our conscience tells us. All right, now, this is answering this argument. You have the people that do not have the law. They do not have a righteous writing like the law. The non-Jewish people will say. What about them? Does God show less judgment on them? This verse says, no, because they have, here's the phrase, a code of morality 
that is written in them call their conscience. So even if you do not have the Bible, even those people who reject God still have a standard of right and wrong. All you've got to do is go in and do some anthropological studies and sociology in some of these different uh, tribes that are way over in the back country and you're going to see that even though they didn't have the Bible, they still have a standard of right and wrong that often is very similar to what Scripture has right here because that is a conscience factor that they have. Now watch. If they keep suppressing that conscience, they get... I don't want to say more wicked, but they act more wickedly when they start squenching that conscience right there. But they too are without excuse. Even though they have no law, they are still guilty and they need a savior. Now what about those who have the law? Even if they have the law, now he's making the argument, you have the law, but you don't even keep all the law. Therefore, you already are definitely a sinner in need of a savior. And by not keeping the law, it should be pointing you to Christ. And the only way is salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. And that's what the last part of that says. And then number three, our character. It says, on that day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. So we're judged according to conduct, conscience, and character. And I call the character, not so much the characteristics outwardly, but it's the character of my own heart. If you want to, you could write the word motives down there. The secrets, my motives. I'm going to be judged for the things that I did, which... This verse is very powerful for those who are moralists who says, don't you know how much I help the homeless? Don't you see how much I volunteer? Don't you see how much money I give? Don't you see the fact that I really do care and altruistically I try to go into the world and relieve the suffering with all those that have disease? Let me tell you, I would stand back and I'm going to applaud you for doing that. I don't want you to leave here to think that doing good, Stan says, is bad. I'm not saying that. Not even scripture. That's a good thing that you're doing. But what's happening here is the Lord is going to judge the motives of why you're doing this. And because we are still sinners, no matter how good we are, we're not perfect. And we're still underneath God's judgment. And that's why we need a Savior. So I close with this, my dear friends. Keep on doing good deeds. But remember that no matter how good you are, we'll never be good enough to go to heaven. You might work on your motives and I'll tell you that's a good thing to have pure motives to try to do this. But even then, we cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. So I promise you that we will all face Christ. All of us will be facing Christ one day. Some will face Him as our Savior because we've trusted in Him and as our Lord. Others will face Christ as a judge to determine the degrees of punishment that they're going to receive in hell. So I want you to know that whether you're a person who fully rejects Christ, even though he's been revealed to you as divine nature and eternal power, all that he's created, or whether you're a moralist that think that you've done so many good things, but we're still practicing the same things as the rejectionists have done because what they're rejecting, even the moralist rejects. And what they're rejecting is, we are still lost, we need a Savior, Jesus is the only way, I'm trusting in him. So however we're rejecting it, we need a Savior. Please. Please trust Christ as your Savior. And when you do, and you come around these people that are around you, you love on them because you remember that it's the goodness of God that can bring about repentance. So you speak grace and graciously. You speak mercy and you speak mercifully. When you share with them that precious message that God loves you just the way you are. And if by you placing your faith in Him, you can have everlasting life. Let's pray, shall we?
with every head bowed and every eye closed. My friend, this is an opportunity for you to have an alone time with the Lord wherever you're seated, wherever you're listening to my voice. Try to push out, if you can, any distractions so that you and the Lord can have a time of communing with Him. Would you remember that God so loved you that He gave His only Son? He displayed His mercy and grace, His kindness to you and to me. No matter how long we've rejected Christ, no, long, no, no matter how long we felt we were almost as good as Christ, we moralized our life. He says, I love you. And he went to the cross and he died and he rose again. And our sin debt was paid for 2,000 years ago and he's offering to us the free gift of eternal life if we'll accept the payment Christ made for us by trusting him. Now, if you want to trust him as your savior, just trust him. It's not even so much a prayer. It's a, it's a transaction where you are now fully realizing you can't save yourself. And you are thanking God for what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. And in so doing, you're relying upon Christ to save you, to give you eternal life and an eternal relationship. You're not saying, Lord, I'll trust you, but I'll also do religious deeds. I'll trust you and I'll also do good deeds together and depend on both of those to get to heaven. No, it's just... Lord, I'm trusting on you and you alone. It's grace and grace alone. Now, if you're doing that, I would like to pray for you. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand if you'd like me to do that. But let me remind you of something. Me praying for you won't get you to heaven. Raising your hand won't get you to heaven. Walking an aisle, standing up, filling out a card. None of those things will get you to heaven. The moment you transactionally trusted Christ in your heart, that moment you did, you believed in Him, not knowing that you have to do this, but actually doing that, that moment you had eternal life. And now you're just kind of letting me know that and I get a chance to pray for you after the fact. You've trusted Christ. Now when I pray for you, I won't mention your name in my prayer. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. Later on, if you want to, you can talk to me or talk to my wife if you'd like, if you're a lady and would prefer talking to a woman. She's right here for you. But is there anyone in here today with heads bowed and eyes closed they would like to indicate that you're trusting Christ as your Savior and that today is the day that you've done that and you'd like for me to pray for you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Thank you. All right. Now, for the rest of us, let's remember that verse we began with, that the goodness of God could bring about repentance, but a stubborn and unrepentant heart, that there will be a a day of wrath for us. So let's um, take a moment and really come with him with a broken and contrite spirit. Is there anything in your heart, in your life as a believer in Christ that you just want to confess right now? You want to give up? You want to, maybe it's self-righteousness or a judgmental attitude against other people. Maybe it's, uh, we become judgmental because we're now wanting to be God in their life. Maybe it's because what we see in there that we don't like in their life, it's in our life. And so we're, we're condemning them, but we have it in our life. And so maybe we need to do business. Is it with greed, moral impurity, bitterness, 
Is it a control factor where you've got to be in control of things or yourself or other people and you don't like it in other people and so you get into power struggles with them? Is it that? Whatever it might be, just lay it before a very gracious Lord who with forbearance and patience and kindness loves you. And as we move out here today, Let's be less judgmental as a condemnatory way and far more discerning about who we are before the Lord and live in a way that's full of His grace and mercy. Allow Him to live His life out through us. Now, Father, I thank You for today and I thank You for what You were teaching these dear people at Rome so many years ago that by extension is for our life here today, right now, at this very time, in this very moment, in this very room, in this very island. And that, Father, while we look to those who are moralists, that we be careful that we don't slide into their world of judging. And Father, that we would humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God and let you, Father, be the Lord of our life as a believer in you. I thank you for this one that is indicating that they trust you as a Savior. They get a Bible and read it and see that it's true. Talk to you in prayer and not little speeches, but a real child to a dad conversation because you are their father forever. I pray that they would be found faithful in getting together with other believers and maybe even, Father, soon share the fact that they've trusted you as their Savior with someone else. Father, we bless you and we magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.